put to death that nefesh that's wrong about literally everything. I'm ready to cut loose myself. The Christian experience has to be sacrificed. Mm. You have to have that soldier attitude. I don't care what they think. I'm here to obey the apostolic commandment. I want to fulfill God's will for my life. Which is the favor that Jesus had from his father by being perfect. Greetings, everyone. Bless you. Welcome. Welcome back. It's good to be here in the glory. It's been a wild day of triumph. We've been really just breaking through. We're celebrating. And God is good. And everything he's called us to do, he's provided for in his word. In every dimension of existence of angel and man, our Lord Jesus Christ reigns triumphantly. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so... Praise God. Welcome. Amen. How are you doing today, Rebecca? Really good. Signs and wonders, wonders and signs. You had gold dust hands right before the show. Yeah, the silver dust. Silver. On a specific, and it's a specific place, and I believe it has a certain meaning to that, and I'm really excited for signs and wonders that glorify our Father in heaven. So, how about you guys watching from home? Are you having signs and wonders manifesting? And go ahead and leave those in the comments. Encourage each other with signs and wonders. What God's doing in your life. Testify. Be a witness of what God's doing in your life. You know, give God the glory. The great things that he's done in your life. So encourage each other that you want to be walking in the grace of God. The glory of God. You know, some of you are starting to walk in the glory. At first, you may rest in the glory. You slow down to take the time to tune in to the heavenly kingdom of God within you. It takes time to realize the glory. You may have a sudden realization of the glory, but it takes time and discipline and practice to be continually aware of God's glory within you. It's very easy after realizing the glory, shortly thereafter, to go back into bewitchment, being pulled away by the cares of the world, the distractions of life, you know, all the things that people go after, all the things that come to distract you, the necessary things in life, right? The things that you have to do, the mundane things. What you want to step into is walking in the glory in the mundane things of life because you'll find then that they are no longer mundane things in your life. They are now become glorious things in your life. Your job becomes glorious. The greatest source of the glory of God in your life is oftentimes your job. That's your place of training. If you're working or if you're supposed to be working, if you're supposed to be working and you're not working, you'll find that the glory fades. If you're supposed to transition to be somewhere else, you'll notice the glory fades. Why? Because you've got to be where God has called you to be, not where he expects you to be 15 years from now, 10 years from now, but where does he expect you to be today? And when you're in obedience to God, that's overcoming the spirit of religion. So let's say there's someone who's supposed to be working a job. God wants to teach you. He wants to train you. He'd rather have you make your mistakes and learn your lessons and overcome and become successful and triumphant 
on somebody else's dollar other than yours. You might be a business owner later on, but he may have you for time learn with someone else, a company, another business owner. This is just an example. This is not a one-size-fits-all. Destiny is never one-size-fits-all plan. Every destiny is tailored and custom-fit to exactly your size, the size of your spirit. What does that mean? The greater the size of your spirit, the greater the destiny. The possibility for the greatness of your destiny is determined by your eternal spirit. I feel the fire of the Holy Ghost now. What does that mean? The more that we value the things of the invisible, right? We value the Word of God. Instead of judging the Word of God by how it makes me feel or doesn't make me feel when I watch it, when I read it, you trust and believe that even if I don't feel it, He's working. Even if I don't see it, He's working. Because the Word has its own inherent power working in it. He's the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the Word of God and He's always working. Why? Because His Father is always working. And that is not dependent on whether I see it working, whether I feel it working, because oftentimes He works in invisible and mysterious ways. And that is part of the joy of the glory, is the mysterious ways in which God works in our lives. And that causes us to walk by faith and not by sight and not by how we feel. Although we will see it eventually bear fruit, we will eventually feel its effects. But in the beginning, initially, oftentimes you're not going to feel it or see it working. That's when we walk by faith. That's where the rubber hits the road, where you have to make the decision that I will obey even though I'm not seeing the results that I feel I'd like to see. It all comes down to this is what God told me to do and even if I don't hear or see or feel anything indicating that it's working, I can only do what I'm supposed to do, what God asked me to do, because I believe beyond what I see, beyond what I feel, and beyond what others can see and feel and think, that obedience to God has its own reward in the substance of faith, in the substance of hope, in the substance of love, which is the greatest. And so when he's doing a work in our character, which is, going up ten worlds of cosmic circumcision of the heart, you'll find that he's more interested in developing his character and nature within you than the glitz and the glamour of displays of power, displays of wealth. Although there are promises in the Bible that the righteous will never be seen begging for bread, there are promises in the book of Enoch that when these things come, to the forefront when these things begin to happen, when these things come forth in the natural realm, that the wealth will be stripped from the wicked and given to the righteous. So these things are already written, but what does God want to do? What is he interested in? He's interested in raising up a holy people, a righteous people. So understand, first you must realize the glory and then you must live in the glory, and that's how you go glory to glory. And it's oftentimes going to be a walk of faith and not by sight. 
It will be by spiritual sight, but there will be seasons even when you feel like spiritual sight is far from you. The voice of God seems far from you. And in that instance, you've got to remember what is the last thing that God instructed you and told you that you know was the voice of God. You're going to have to wait on Him and you're going to have to be obedient because he's waiting to see, are you going to run off and do your own thing because you couldn't wait for God? Make your own decision, come up with your own plan. Or are you going to stick to the plan even when it doesn't look like that plan will be successful? Do you trust God or do you trust yourself? Or do you trust the voice of another who is no God at all? Amen. I thought it was interesting studying today that the word tested also means tempted. 1 Timothy 3.10, These men must first be tested, then if they are found to be blameless and beyond reproach in their Christian lives, let them serve as deacons. Again, it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study and do your best to present yourself to God approved, a workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. What we are going through is a testing to overcome the temptations. So the testing of the heart is the removing of the thing of the old man that loves sin. Now you're a new creature in Christ that loves his holiness, his righteousness, his purity, his character qualities, his attributes. That is continuously tested. The Bible says Jesus Christ was tempted, which means tested, in every way that we are, and yet was without sin, which means he passed his test. The thing about grace and the blood of the Lamb and the water of the Lamb of God in this new covenant is if you are making progress and serious about passing these tests and overcoming these temptations, it will help you get through it. So you don't give up on him. He's not giving up on you. You will be tempted. Jesus Christ was tempted in everything. So the temptation should not seize you. But when you are tempted, God provides a way out. What is the way out? Clinging to the light of His Word. And that's a realm that the Father has prepared for you to dwell in His nature. When Jesus Christ said, In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I'd tell you. He's not just saying of a gigantic house for you to live in. He's saying a protection and a dwelling place of refuge in my word. It's a safety place where God has prepared for us who pass our tests and temptations. So when you are tempted and tested and all elders and all maturity and all the formation of Christ in your hearts is always tested. In fact, it is not sure and can have no authority until it's passed its tests and temptations. And once it has, it dwells in the mansion of the Father. Now, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. And God is spirit. And we must worship Him in spirit and truth. Passing the test is to get into the spirit and the truth. Before the test, you're not in the spirit or in the truth proven. Mm -hmm. And it is a proving to the angels that you have rejected everything that's been given to them at the fall, which is called the dust of the earth, the sins of humanity, 
We are no longer partakers of the sinful nature, it is written, but now we are partakers of the divine nature if we're passing these tests. Sometimes these tests are just pure attitude. Sometimes these tests are just having an attribute towards someone that we dislike, we distrust, maybe their character rubs us the wrong way. Most of these tests are very practical and it's not as big and overt as you might think. Sometimes, very subtle, usually. Sometimes it's just a feeling that you feel in your spirit, in your thought life. And your invisible man feels a certain way. And so there's a testing and a temptation upon your spirit. How your thoughts think is a testing of how your spirit reacts to mm-hmm. things apart from you and outside of you. So your thought life really is your spirit life. It's the invisible part of you. As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. So what's the heart that they think in? Their spirit. The word spirit and heart are often used synonymously in the Bible. So you can understand the purity of your thought life as the cleanliness of your conscience. We are tested so that our conscience will be crystal clear and sparkling like the Lamb of God. So we know He's perfect. Now the issue is getting us perfect through the empowerment of the Holy Ghost, the believing of His Word, as it's written, you're consecrated by the Word of God. That's what sets you apart from the words of the evil one and His kingdom and all the darkness and the dust of the earth and building sandcastles and doing strange fire and everything the enemy's doing and pretending to be Jesus, these imposters, play actors, and hypocrites. But when the Word of God sanctifies you and sets you apart from all that is in the world to be in the kingdom and the glory is the realm where His Spirit is shining through your spirit, which is the evidence of union. So the ultimate is the Bride of Christ, which means married to the Word with the evidence of the presence of His glory. So she will be in an elevation that rules over the earth, so that each level will have a testing and temptation to see if you go any further in God. Mm-hmm. And that these are represented in the sapphire stones, in the foreskin, and the membrane, which is the mystery of circumcision, which is a picture of the invisible realm, the sign of the covenant. What does that mean? What is the only evidence that someone is a Jew? In all of the Old Testament, what was the only evidence that someone was truly a Jew? It was the sign of circumcision. So in the New Covenant, what is the only evidence that you are a Christian or that you are a member of heavenly Jerusalem? It's the sign of the covenant, but instead of it being for males only, having an outward circumcision of the flesh, it's an inward circumcision of the heart, which means there is a part of you that has been permanently cut away (laughs) that's a decision that you make with revelation with revelatory knowledge with understanding and you agree with the word of the god of the word of god which is the sword of circumcision so it's the word of god circumcises our hearts but if we don't really know what circumcision is and if we cling to the membrane and the foreskin That's our way of telling God, no, I don't want circumcision in this part of my heart. 
I only want you in this part of my garden. That's your heart. That's your garden. How are there little foxes that spoil the vineyard? How are there things in the garden such as weeds, intruders of sin, little foxes, little lies, different creatures that are not supposed to be in the garden of righteousness? A righteous heart is a garden of righteousness. So what we grow in our hearts is what is growing in our inward garden. It's supposed to be a paradise for Jesus, for the Trinity, for the Godhead, to walk with Adam in the Ruah of the day. Understanding the gardens, the different, the tiers of the gardens. Right? You want to be a well-watered garden. You could look online and find the scripture that talks about being a well-watered garden. You could look it up and find where that is. You could look into it. You could learn about gardening the heart. It's a worthwhile endeavor. On the outside, it may not seem like much at first, but when you value the invisible more than you value the visible, it doesn't mean that you disregard the natural realm. That would be foolishness. As we know, God wants to transform the physical realm. He wants you to live your life in a way that's pleasing to Him. And that includes the way you drive, the way you talk, the way you work, the way you treat your family, the way you treat your loved ones. It's all about transforming this realm into the exact image that exists already in the perfection of heaven. And by that I mean the heaven and above and beyond. How can that image be restored to the natural dimension? He created them. Let's create them in our image, he said. Well, as we know, as the rabbis have taught, that image is represented in the tefillin. That tefillin of the binding of the word of God over that portal of Gevra, they'd put it on the left arm and on the head. So, in order to restore the image below, as above, in the Old Testament, they did a type and shadow of what would come later with Jesus Christ in the New Covenant, in the Eternal Covenant, when we walk not in the types and shadows of the New Covenant, but actually in the invisible realities, bringing those heavenly things into the earth through our spirit, through our souls, transforming the soul, and through our bodies, through the natural You see the angels carrying those cords in the book of Revelation. That's what the Teflon symbolized, the angelic cords of righteousness that are for all believers in the heavenly realm. Amen. So to restore that image below, according to the image above, they would bind the word of God to that portal of Gevra. That's what it represents. And to the mind, it's the mind of Christ is the word of God active and alive and working, which means emanating Shekinah through your mind, which means through your thoughts, through your mental ray, which is your intentions toward others, your intentions toward yourself and your intentions toward God. So how do we do that in practical application? We walk by faith and not by sight, which means oftentimes initially if you only go by what you see and what you hear and what you feel, you will be disappointed on this walk. But if you believe 
in miracles, if you believe in the unseen realm, and you put more stock in that, you put more faith, more investment in what you cannot see, but you know to be true because you heard the word of God and the spirit of God spoke to you. He opened up your understanding with revelatory knowledge, with a revelation of his mercy, of his goodness, of his grace, of his power, of his authority, of his kindness, of his meekness, of his gentleness, of his holiness, the revelation of his holiness. The revelation of his righteousness and purity is what takes you into making your first steps walking into the kingdom age. So why do people sow money into a ministry like this and this ministry and then they reap spiritually and they eventually reap physically? Why does that work? When someone hears a revelation that's being preached by the Spirit of God, they value that revelation as a gemstone. So when they see that, they automatically know this gemstone was so beautiful and so large and so valuable. It's more valuable than that car. It's more valuable than that house. It's more valuable than all those things I wanted to do the online shopping for, and I want that. I want that more. That revelation means more to me than anything Satan could appear to me and say, but I'll give you all of this kingdom and all this influence and power. So good. But you value that gemstone of righteousness. And that's when you give financially and you reap the reward, which is a spiritual, invisible, physical substance. Now, those who are wise already understand and have experienced this, but there are many people who have never experienced giving by faith. And so when they are looking for the rewards, they're looking in the natural dimension. <laughs> now, why would you be doing that unless you're bewitched? Yes, of course, we know it's written that those natural rewards should come and they come later on or they come when the Father approves. But if you want wisdom in reaping and sowing, Proverbs chapter 2 tells us wisdom and how to get understanding. This is the key. This is the secret. It says that you will get wisdom and understanding when what? When you value it. Mm. That's it. That's the big secret. Read through Proverbs. You can go through Proverbs chapter 2 again and again until you get it. Until you understand that's how it works. When you value it. How do you know when you value it? In the New Testament, the apostolic teaching is that when you value it, they talk about the same thing, a little bit different language, but it's the same principle as Proverbs chapter 2. It's how you value it. When you treasure it. When you believe the invisible realm, not just by hyping yourself up in the emotional realm. We got zero around the Ruach or the emotions of the Nefesh. But when you believe and you value the invisible realm, that's not an imagination, but that which is made up of Shekinah steel. It's solid. The solid rock upon which we stand is not a figment of the imagination that will be destroyed when the waves of the storms come. It's not the sinking sand. He's the solid rock upon which we stand.
And those are the sapphire stones. So what is the testing? As Brandon was explaining, the testing it comes, the testing is Malkut. What are you going to do with your money? What are you going to do with your mouth? How you speak towards others? Your passions of the flesh. How are you going to use them or curb them or control them or give them over to the Lord? And what's more important to you? What you feel like your body urges you to need? And that's what you believe? Or do you believe in the God of holiness that he promised in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that there's no temptation that can possibly come to you that you cannot resist with just the normal human ability he's already given you with by his word that you can actually resist it. So it's if you believe 1 Corinthians 10, 13 or you believe your flesh. In that moment, oh, I was so overwhelmed and da, da, da. You know, people get overwhelmed by the pressure of lust. But what they don't realize is if you simply believe 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it's only common, anything you'll ever be tempted in all 10 weeks is only something that you can be easily and commonly That's good, overcome a, by. A key to conquering mm -hmm. that lust. Yep. Anytime a spirit of lust comes around you, you have the authority of Christ to curse that spirit. I have never seen greater power in conquering all lust that's in the world that tries to destroy the believer but except by the one who has learned to curse it. Oh my goodness, in the name of Jesus Christ, I curse the spirit of lust. It will diminish in power, it'll deteriorate in temptation, and it'll be incinerated away from you. Learn how to mm -hmm. curse the spirit yep. of lust anytime you're tempted with that. That is a huge key. Amen. And this is very powerful. I want you to understand this too with a real life world example. I was at a, a mall in Minneapolis one day on a shopping errand. So of course, you know, I stopped by the Starbucks to get a coffee and enjoy a delicious latte while I'm going to do my errand. And as I'm waiting for the barista to finish my beverage, I look over and across the way, so a couple of workers from another establishment that we're working we're just kind of lounging about standing outside of their establishment in the middle of the mall. And these uh, couple of gentlemen were looking at me in the spirit of lust. Now it was the middle of winter times. So of course, I'm wearing sweaters and things. But if you know how the spirit of lust operates, and I've tested this in all my life with all my different jobs, types of clothing, even when I would dress more in a boyish way or an ugly, we would call it an ugly way, you could wear anything on your head, any kind of sweater, baggy clothes. I experienced more attacks from lust from men when I dressed in baggy, unattractive clothes with all kinds of religious garb. I experienced more of that. So I'm telling you, ladies, that is not the answer. The answer is killing the spirit of lust, Amen. attacking the spirit of lust, because what do you need to wear should not be based on demons. That's it right. should be based on what the angels have picked out for you. And I've noticed over the last couple of years, the outfits that are beautiful and colorful, that the, that the Father, God the Father of lights, who sent Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, and the holy angels assigned me, the outfits that they choose for me oftentimes cause the religious demons to manifest and call it something inappropriate when heaven itself has selected the outfit for me. So I want to encourage you, never select your outfit out of pride of your own vanity or lust of your own kind, calling it false freedom. And never choose your outfit based on trying to prevent lust from males because you're serving a demon at that point. 
That's the knowledge of good, which is the white snake. That's you serving a spirit of witchcraft. Un unawares. But now you're aware. So I want to encourage you. So it's the middle of winter. I have some kind of sweater or coat on. They don't care. Doesn't matter. And they're lusting. And it's the gaze of lust. I, have every, I think most women know what that looks like. Right? That's the reason why many women don't feel free and safe to just go out. Like if you're a man, you can just go wherever. As long as it's not like, you know, you know, maybe there's a certain region you don't feel comfortable. People maybe hate you there. But for most women, there are certain places and times and days they don't feel comfortable going places by themselves because of these kinds of things. These demons that are constantly looking to steal and kill and destroy, you know, fear of rape, uh, fear of lust, and all these different things. And that's why oftentimes women feel limited as like a second-class citizen and, you know, there's not as much freedom and movement because they're constantly afraid of these things happening to them. They might carry self-defense weapons, take self-defense classes, but women have never really known, most women have never really known the freedom that men have where they can just leave the house and go wherever and they don't feel any of that because they're not targeted in that way. And this is something most women are traumatized with from an early age and you can see the rape statistics only back that up. It's an overwhelming, shocking statistic in the United States of America, and I'm sure it's worse in other countries, of how early on women are targeted and raped. And they may go their whole lives never talking about it with anyone. And it's just, it's horrendous. So we also want to release healing, if that's you. Healing from rape and healing from the trauma of the fear of it. So... Where are we going with this? This is the power. As Brandon's talking about mm. cursing, as I'm standing there waiting for my Starbucks and I'm here with the heavenly angels <laughs> and we're getting ready to enjoy a really glorious time. There's signs and wonders and everything happening. And I look over and these two gentlemen who are demon-possessed began to look at me with this look of lust, which I hate. I hate that so much. I look over and I'm wearing my sunglasses, like the mirrored kind of ones, and I look over the corner of my eye and I say, really? Out in the middle, just like this, there's people everywhere, you're gonna, we're here with the angels. And I whispered in my breath, I, I curse the spirit of lust, I curse the spirit. I began to curse it, to be bound, to be chained, threatening for them to be thrown into the eternal lake of fire to face their judgment. And soon, just just like that, they those men, they hightailed it back in, tucktailed and ran in terror back into their business where they were working. And I thought, that's right, get out of here. It's a demon. That's right. So don't be mad at the males. Don't grow up hating men. Hate the demon. Mm -hmm. Because you know what? The males would be really wonderful creatures of God in this world if they did not have demon possession. How much greater this society would be without demon possession from males and females? Type that in the comments. Guys would be great. If they didn't have demons. Right. So, <laughs> Amen. I'm very blessed to have Brandon so as my husband. He's Same with the ladies. I already have the best one in the whole world. So, you oh, know, sorry, you. ladies, for your loss. I already have the, the best one. But your husband or your future husband, the one that God has intended for you, if you want to walk in the marriage that God has intended for you, if you're already married, if you're watching this, you both know by now, You've got to learn righteousness and ascension by circumcision. 
then you'll have a beautiful marriage and you'll have the the way that God intended for it to be. And it's much greater than anything you could imagine when you're down in the world of Isaiah. For those of you who have not met your spouse yet, whether you're male or female, I want to encourage you to begin praying for them, that they will be brought into righteousness because even if you met them, it's never going to work out unless they learn righteousness. And right now what the enemy has done has put blockages in the way of people coming to righteousness. So begin to obliterate those. How, how are those obliterated? When you go up and you bear the fruit, you're the evidence. That's what everyone's going to see is, how did this work for other people? You know, two people can go up and do it, and that'll be a witness enough in itself. But we want the best for you and your future and your family, your spouse. We want you to walk in it. When you walk in it and bear the fruit of it, it annihilates all opposition to righteousness. When you start praying for your spouse, start praying for your friends who don't have their spouse yet, that they would come and learn righteousness. Don't just pray for them to come and meet you. Mm. Pray for them to learn righteousness because then they'll automatically be in the same spiritual location as you. Um, the most important thing is that consecration. Otherwise, even if you got the right person, they're full of sin and opinions and stubbornness and mm. wrongdoing, and it will just be a nightmare. Literally, consecration is equally as important as salvation otherwise after believing in jesus sometimes they can get worse in stubborn pride as some people have experienced with religionists they're not interested in the consecrated life now i found this everything in christ in our entire life is to form more of jesus in our spirit i have found all of heaven in the word formed in our spirit so in all the things you learn, all the revelations, all the experiences, all the cursing of the demons externally to take territory over the natural dimension, and all this stuff that you'll experience as Christians, the main thing, the reason why you go through this all is the development of more of Christ on the inside. The measure of Christ on the inside, and the Bible says the angel comes with the measuring rod. What do you think he's measuring? How much of Jesus? is inside you and me and that's ever increasing that's not a measurement of condemnation it's literally a measurement of salvation yeah. but that salvation grows through one process called sanctification if sanctification which is consecration being made holy set apart from every other spirit for the holy spirit to grow inside you if that is not your daily priority you don't understand the process of spiritual growth the carnal Christian life has to be purified through a daily sanctification of the Word of God. We have these tools to sanctify us for Holy Spirit to increase in us. When there is more of the Holy Spirit in you, guys, life gets thousands of times better and easier. The only reason why it's hard is what the Bible calls kicking against the pricks. Solitarsis. It's not easy doing what? Fighting the way of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said the way of the Holy Spirit was e and light. Okay? Doesn't mean there won't be persecutions, misunderstanding, but as far as peace and well-being in the mind and in the temple, forever. I mean, you are literally in heaven, guys. And that's what we want for all of it. We want you to understand the sanctification. Sanctification will require the testing of your heart. Don't be offended when you're tested. 
You have to pass these tests. When the enemy comes, he's seeing if there's anything in your heart, in your mind, your attitude, your emotions, your feelings, your thought life, your actions, your idolatry, immorality, if any of it belongs to his kingdom. And it's not a condemnation. It's an opportunity for deliverance. Mm -hmm. And promotion. Amen. And every single time you pass these tests, part of that stuff gets removed in you and through testing you're made perfect. As it's written, tested in fire times into pure silver. Silver has to do with the wow. wisdom of the spirit and the purity of your heart, the purity of your mind. And it's a realm of Jesus getting formed. As it's written, the believer's reward is silver, gold, and gemstone. Silver, gold, and gemstone is the opportunity when passing tests that that Christ nature of gemstone and gold and silver of God's kingdom would be manifest through your souls. So when all these tests and tribulations come upon you, it says, do not be astonished that they're coming, this fiery tribulation that's come upon you. A fiery tribulation is a fiery, continuous testing in order for Jesus to be formed in your bodies. So oftentimes the sense and the reason of the carnal man is misunderstood for the spiritual man or the Christ man, the Christian. Wisdom is exactly the same as divine discernment. So wisdom can know the difference between carnal Christianity of human sense and human reasoning, which is being done away with through testing, and the increase of the divine intelligence of Christ the Christ man formed on the inside. And the new creature is where? The Bible tells you, in Christ. So the increase of Christ, yes, there are elevations. Most people, we need the elevations of Daniel 12, many shall arise from the dust of the earth, which is simply overcoming the earth as an elevation. That's where over 99% of Christian believers are right now. Daniel says of a future generation who are hearing the teachings of cosmic righteousness that shine like the stars forever in the heavens. Those people, and through that teaching, will cause an arising from the earthly into the heavenly. That transition is because your heart is tested, and the things that belong to the enemy, you've allowed them to be extracted. So, the Holy Spirit comes with angels beyond counting. And these angels are the ones that take that stuff out of you. Circumcision is always angelic presence. You cannot be circumcised of heart without angels present. And where are the angels present? Only around God. Therefore, anyone who calls upon the name of God shall be saved, it says in Romans. Why? Because when you call upon the name, yad heh it is His very throne that begins to operate in you, and angels will descend upon the Son of Man that you've called upon in your hearts. So salvation is a declaration, not just on the inside, but on the outside. But you want to make sure they're synchronized. If the outside ever gets louder than the inside in the things of God, we get into the realm of being hypocrites, play actors, pretenders, and Pharisees, who had all the appearance on the outside, but inwardly were dead men's bones. So now, we're working on the inside, and the outside can rejoice in the word living by the fruit of their lips. No longer by the sweat of the brow. What does it mean to not live by the curse of the sweat of the brow? of Genesis 2 and 3, the curse of the fall of man and woman. It means that now I'm living by the fruitfulness of speaking out of the glory of Christ in me. The hope of realizing the glory. What happens in realizing the glory? A change of language. 
a change of communication. You don't talk like a human being anymore. If you're still talking like a man and a woman and not like God talks in the language of the mature, which is wisdom in 1 Corinthians, there is not that change yet. So the language of the Son is learned in hearing and listening to those who are walking in the glory. They're called the elders. If anyone seeks that position of an elder eldership, they seek a good thing, it says in Timothy. But it must be tested and proven, which means the evidence of the Christ man is on the inside with the language of wisdom, with the accounting angels all around. It says that deacons also must possess the mystic secret of faith. So what is the mystic secret of faith that's clearly understood to those who are in leadership in the New Testament, but is not plainly written down in the Bible? What were they insinuating? What were they alluding to? What is a mystic secret of faith? They have to possess the mystic secret of faith. And it's Christ within you, the hope of realizing the glory, but it's not knowledge of that Bible verse as we just said it. You can know that Bible verse and you can say it, but until you realize it and you know Him within, there's no chance of experiencing or possessing the mystic secret of faith. And in the book of Luke in the New Testament, they say, as you were orally instructed, mm. referring to apostolic teaching and instruction that is alluded to in the written New Testament, but is not written down, it's orally instructed. Just as the Old Testament had an oral tradition that was orally instructed, how? From God the Father directly to Moses, Moses to Aaron and Aaron's sons, and then they gave that to the 70, the elders, and then they would preach it, they would teach it to the assembly of Israel, and then it went down through the line all the way down you know, to Joshua and every generation all the way down to Ezra and then all the way down. And at some point, as the people of God strayed away from God, as time went on, as we can see they did stray because when Jesus Christ showed up, they didn't recognize him. If you strayed from the Torah, you wouldn't recognize Torah when it incarnated in the flesh. Jesus Christ was the Word of God incarnate, which means in the flesh. Incarnation means something came in the flesh. That's what that means. It's a word in the Bible. It's written. Christian mm -hmm. means Christ incarnate. So, he was the incarnation of the Word of God, which means the Word of God made flesh. So, if they were close to the Torah, if they knew the oral tradition, truly, the actual Torah, if they were close to Torah, as the Word of God, who is an individual, a part of the Godhead. If they were actually close to Torah through the written Word, if they really had held on to the oral instruction, they would have recognized Torah when you showed up. But they did not. What did that mean? They had actually strayed from God in their hearts. Who recognized Jesus? Those who were close to Torah. Those who were close to the heart of the Father. Those who wanted to know the truth. Why were they not close to Torah in that time? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, many of them? They wanted what they wanted. They wanted their own way. And they didn't really want God as their king. They did not truly want the word of God to rule Which their is hearts a rejecting of the accountability mm -hmm. of the inner man. Religion, which they wanted, 
was only accountable outward, mm -hmm. but they refused to be accountable in the thought life of their spirit man, and that's the rejection of Messiah. Messiah is the acceptance of accountability of your spirit. Now I'm spirit-led by the Holy Spirit as a spirit being, born of spirit and water. So embracing that accountability is the Christian life. You know, picking up your cross and following Him, it's a cross upon your spirit because the spirit is the primary center of the eternal being. It's not just the flesh and blood, but the spirit, when it's disciplined, overrides the soul and immediately filters through soul and flesh, through actions, attitude, uh, obedience, all the things of the natural realm, they go on autopilot. So you need to understand, receiving God or rejecting God is about the accountability of His commandments now written upon where? Your heart. Scripture says there was a transfer in Hebrews from the commandments simply upon your flesh, to now upon your spirit. That's ultimately what the new covenant is. It's not just this grace abounds, uh, you know, sloppy Christianity out here. You can do anything and it's just, we just plead the blood, plead the blood and put Crisco over our doorposts and stuff like that. Just externalism. No, it's an accountability thousands of times greater that now God can put his commandments upon your spirit. This is what the prophets of old long for, mm -hmm. not just to have the law on the outside, but to have the law working in its glory on the inside, the law of the original design of Jesus Christ. He is the lawgiver in Zion. He went up the mountain in Matthew chapter 5 exactly like Moses, fulfilling Moses, that now this lawgiver, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, will stand up on the inside of the temple of our bodies and we will fulfill all the law by having Him on the inside. Guys, that level of accountability can't even be compared to Moses and Sinai. And that's utterly what Mount Zion is. Mount Zion is having the lawgiver stand up on the inside. That's written in Revelation 15. And I saw the overcomer standing on Mount Zion with Moses and the Lamb singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Which means now Moses is not just this external thing. The fulfillment of Moses, Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which is also our creation. So it's the fulfilling of not just the rules and regulations of Leviticus, but the fulfilling of creation itself is Torah which is done in Messiah Jesus Christ on the inside. That's why you read about all the maturing and all the works of the Holy Spirit of every apostle in the New Testament. And it's all about that work growing and being completed on the inside of you. That's utterly what the new covenant is. And may it be finished in all of you at the sound of my voice. And may you cooperate with the increase of His Word, His law, His commandments on the inside. Then the sapphire stones will be revealed to you. Right? You ask Jesus in your heart. Jesus said to His apostles, You're going to see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. How many of y'all know? We start out this walk by inviting the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, into our bodies. Lord, come into my heart. Amen? Amen? Now guess what the evidence that He's really in there is you can see the angels descending and descending. And guess what paths are ascending and descending on? The path of sapphire stones. That's the path of lightnings. That's how every angel ascends and descends. And God will make these things plain to all of you as well. Amen. Amen. It's powerful. <laughs>
When you live a life of righteousness through ascension by the circumcision of sapphire stones, not only will you begin to know the ways of God, you will begin to know God. Because Moses said, teach me your ways that I might know you. So as you learn this way, the ways of God are all on the way. What is the way? Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So he said that he is the truth. He is the life. He is the way. They were followers of the way. That's how Christianity wasn't known as Christian. It was called Christian later on, but they were considered followers of the way. Not many ways, not many paths that lead to God. No, one way, Jesus Christ. The Jesus who came in the flesh, who was sent by the Father of lights, Father of spirits, the creator of all the universe. And he sent him in the flesh for the forgiveness of the sins of the world that anyone who would call on his name, would call on him, could be saved. And who chose the good part? Who chose the way? You can see that in the life of a woman called Mary who shattered everything that she held dear and precious in that breaking of that perfume bottle to pour costly perfume oil on Jesus, anointing him for his burial at his feet with a broken and a contrite spirit, which is the sacrifice that is written that God will never reject. Cain's sacrifice was rejected. When we bring a Cain-like sacrifice, it is rejected. Having a spirit of rejection doesn't mean that it's God's job or anyone else's job to accept you, comfort you. Oh, I'm sorry, you have a spirit of rejection. No, that's a demon that needs cast out. Oftentimes when people have a spirit of rejection, it's because they're not accepted in what they've done in the eyes of God. And so the spirit of rejection is a way and a defense of saying, no one has the right to reject me. Well, Cain was rejected because his offering was rejected. Abel was accepted because his offering was acceptable. And what did God say to Cain? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? You will be accepted if you do what's right. That means doing the right thing. Yeah, what is right doing? Righteousness. Righteousness. Right doing in the eyes of God. So when we feel rejected, or if you suffer from rejection spirit, keep in mind the burden is not on any of your friends. It's not on any of your pastors. It's not on any of your loved ones. It's not on anyone. It's not on God to accept you. God accepts me. If you're just looking for any God to accept you, in your current state without any expectation of changing, you're going to find yourself before a false god pretending to be Jesus. So how do you deal with rejection spirit? Yes, it's been painful. Yes, someone may have deliberately sinned against you and hurt you, but the reality of those wounds does not change the fact that your offering before the Lord must be found acceptable. I feel the burning in my ear again. This is wonderful. You must bring an acceptable offering to God. 
just because of a hurt feeling or a spirit of rejection does not mean that God is obligated to accept you or your offering. Mm. So what do we have to do? We have to humble ourselves as Mary. What was her acceptable offering? Well, She gave her all, which was she valued the invisible man inside of Christ, his spirit. Everyone else, many people saw just a man or a prophet, just a prophet. But what she saw in Jesus through his teaching and sitting at his feet, which was a position of humility, she valued it with, it was, what was it, at least $55,000, and today's worth probably more with the inflation, <laughs> probably a lot more than with inflation, but $55,000 was a lot for this woman. It was her most valuable, uh, the most valuable that currency could buy. She had, it was like a life savings. She broke it and poured it all out on him, and it drove the religious demon in Judas Iscariot, which was Satan himself. Satan himself always manifests as a poverty spirit, uh, as a jealous spirit. He was jealous of the attention on Jesus. He was jealous of his money. That's why he wanted to steal. And he was jealous of Mary. He was jealous of all those things happening. And he said, couldn't that have been given to the poor? And so there's wrongdoing with money. That's all the spirit of Satan mm -hmm. that had possessed uh, Judas Iscariot. Yep. And so what we find is that in Proverbs where it tells us, when will you get wisdom? When you value it. So when she saw the spirit of wisdom, remember the seven spirits of God, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, all the seven spirits of God were inside Christ Jesus because he was the mm. word incarnate Amen. in perfection in the flesh. And she saw that when she valued him, it was nothing for her to take essentially her life savings and break that and pour it out on him. <laughs> and it was such a powerful act that the Lord promised that everywhere the gospel would be preached through eternity would always mention her. <laughs> Which means anytime you've heard the gospel and it doesn't mention her, you've not heard the full gospel. Why did he set it up like that? Mm, wow. It's a promise that whenever you hear the gospel, she will be mentioned every time. So I want to encourage you, those of you who share the gospel with others, make sure you include who God said would be included every time. That way we speak a full gospel from the mid-heavens. And how can you share the gospel from the mid-heavens? If you're not ascending the mid-heavens through circumcision of heart, the evidence of her inward change and transformation was the physical monetary value of what she valued in Jesus, and it was obedience to the Spirit, right? It was a specific act of obedience and a contrite heart, which means she was at his feet. The tears showed the brokenness of her spirit, a sacrifice in the Word of God that God has promised would never be rejected. So the humility, the contrite spirit, the monetary sacrificial offering that seemed to go to waste. It didn't pay for any orphans. It didn't pay for anyone's school bills and clothing. It didn't go to another cause. It wasn't Habitat for Humanity building houses for the poor. It was 55K down the drain like that in an instant, an apparent waste to everybody else in the room. Unless you valued the invisible. Mm. 
And that's why when I gave my first tithe to RLM, I had seen the substance of the invisible. I remember saying, I value that. I need to have that. How much can I give? It wasn't even a matter of fact of try to hold on to money. It was how much can I possibly give without doing harm, you know, to my own account, as far as like, where would I cross the line? And of course I asked the spirit of God and he gave me a number and it was more than I'd ever given at that point in my life. And so I gave that amount and I still remember this day, I experienced the spiritual transfer when I gave, it was by faith. I had never given that much to any church or any pastor. It was by faith. And when I gave that amount, I felt because the Holy Spirit, I desired when I saw and I perceived the invisible. I wanted to make a deposit, a sowing, and then I wanted to reap. It wasn't about getting money back. It wasn't a cash rebate plan, okay? I perceived an invisible substance of revelation, this revelation gemstone that I could not be without. I couldn't be without the substance emanating from that word. I had to have it. And it was, how much can I give? Because I've been so blessed just in that. And when I gave in that faith, I remember tangibly that invisible substance being given to me. Being, it was an overflow of an abundance. He still had everything that he'd spoken, but the overflow, when I gave into that, obedience and powers angels to bring heaven to your earth. I received the same seed of that same substance, and once it was mine, I carried it like a baby. I treasured it. I paid a price that you know this was the amount the Lord said to give, and once I received it, I could feel it. It was mine. Now I had it too. He didn't have to lose, right? Brennan was the pastor at that time. I didn't, he didn't lose anything for me to have this overflow. This is, this is what we mean by becoming a farmer in the glory, right? Seed time and harvest. That's the realm of faith. When you believe in the sowing and the reaping, you're not a hunter. I didn't have to go and say, he has what I want. Let me go and attack him and get it. It's mine. Then I would have been cursed and condemned. And some of you would have been cursed and condemned if you had not been forgiven. So tread very carefully on the things of God. This is not games. This is not just fun and games. There's a lot of fun in games. But when it comes to hunting others, God is very serious about the vengeance for those who are murderers of his children. So there's grace. Just, you know, Saul became Paul. He became a parent. He became a farmer of the word sowing the word into the people and there's the water there's the love there's the grace but understand we are in the times and the days and the age where if you go back into hunting and stealing it doesn't first of all it doesn't work anymore second of all that's a one of the fastest ways to get yourself killed physically in the days that we're stepping into that's just, that's not most people. There are some people, they just, they tend to be that way. They came out of that. Understand, just for safety, that's what that is. But when, you don't need to live in fear like that. A lot of people aren't even going to be like that. They're going to learn righteousness. They're going to love righteousness, which is when you value the invisible, physical, 
thing, that substance that I experienced and I sewed into that, I remember how it felt when I gave that transfer was almost instant. And when I received it, and I cared for it and carried it within me as if it was my own child, I could feel that substance of glory. It's something I did not have until I gave financially. And it was a bigger offering than I'd ever given anyone. And I remember the joy. It was pure joy. It wasn't like, oh no, sadness. It was like, I wish I had more to give, but it would have ruined my bank. Like, it was what the Father gave me, the number. I was, uh, there was permission, right? You can't just be a crazy person emptying bank accounts, ruining your lives. You have to be joyful, be cheerful, and then hear from heaven and get the confirmation. So when I had the confirmation and then I gave, and I received it almost immediately. Like as soon as it was sent and received, I got it. And I could feel it. And I wanted to protect it and guard it and treasure it and grow it. Well, how long was I going to grow it now? I felt it go right into my spirit. Then I took my hand, I put it on my spirit. And every time I read the word of God, more would come. But I got a huge chunk. I mean, a big piece of that substance <laughs> from giving financially that stretched me. I'd never given that much before. And that exact substance from that offering it was what eventually grew me into the tree of righteousness. I remember the exact offering. I remember the dollar amount. And I remember every giving after then, it grew my faith because now I knew when you give with joy and you give with understanding, the wisdom is what? When you value it. And now I knew when I'm looking at purchases, well, let me first make sure I can have a big offering before I go and buy this thing and this hair thing or this, you know, thing for, you know, work or whatever. Let me first make sure I've got another big offering to give because that invisible substance blessed me so much. I started seeing, you want to walk into a seer realm? Give abundantly, financially. You want to open huge. your eyes Valuing to see the, the invisible? And then instead of just believing what I, I heard and believed, my sight started to open up so much to see the invisible visions and dreams and trances from financial giving. She broke that outward idolatry and the outward things would no longer be the ruler of her life. And she gave it to Jesus. This being mentioned every time the Gospels preached is the fulfillment of Romans 12 being a living sacrifice. We have a lot of Christian ideas of what a living sacrifice is. None of them really, really put it together like Mary of Bethany. She is the perfect example of a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. That's the standard. That's a normal Christian, someone who has brought all the natural realm of their natural life and laid it at the feet of Jesus. And it's not a one-time thing. She's at the cross. So we know it was consistent every day of her life for eternity. That's what a crucified life is. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'm going to read this to you. And think of Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany is the fulfillment of what a real living sacrifice looks like that God receives. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, and intelligent act of worship. Verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, 
which means a person who has not brought the Mary of Bethany sacrifice is still conformed to this world. And, but don't be, because we want that living sacrifice reality That's any powerful. longer with its superficial values and customs, but he but he's transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind. Notice there is no renewing of the mind until the living sacrifice, which is the standard of Mary of Bethany that few believers have ever obeyed. That's what you'll need to step into to go from Malkut mm -hmm. to Yasad, every single one of you. Mm -hmm. Amen. And Amen. it'll be glorious. And I want to give some more wisdom from my experience <laughs> because I learned all these things just by walking through it in faith. I started to get addicted to how it would feel when I would want to give and then God would give me approval on the number and then I would give it. I would begin to be addicted to the substance that would be released to me. It was more and more glory and it was tangible. I could feel it. I could sense it. I could. I began to see it. I actually began to see it with my eyes open. But before I saw it, I felt it at first. And before then, I didn't really feel it. I just I heard something that I knew was God, and I joyfully wanted to give into it. And when I experienced again that first impartation, I began to be addicted because every time after then I would give, more glory would flood through me and into me. And I knew that when I sowed money. I reaped glory. I reaped in glory. Whatever the person is carrying and walking in, you reap from the overflow of that. He doesn't steal anything from them. that's what drives the religious spirit crazy. Yeah. Because have, then you become powerful. Because they have a stingy heart yeah. and <laughs> they don't value Jesus. It, it, there's right. no monetary value in, right. in making him first because as it's written, Judas was a thief and he was always helping himself. So this is the beginning of living a sacrificial life mm -hmm. as living sacrifices, which is valuing mm -hmm. Jesus, His Word, the Gospel, the invisible realm mm -hmm. of the angels, is that's the top priority mm -hmm. of all the increase of finances in your life. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, you can just forget the rest of the Gospel in your life. It it's all going to be yeah. out of order because you're in disobedient with the entire natural mm -hmm. realm. And then I made a mistake too. After I got addicted to the feeling and the the actual tangible invisible increase of glory in my life, I made this one mistake and I want to share this with you because I realized it as soon as I made it because I could, I was experiencing the glory. I could tangibly feel the measurements of the increase of glory when I gave. And one time I gave a certain amount, but with it, and I didn't know that this was incorrect. I didn't know it was wrong until I experienced the bad fruit of it. I gave a certain amount, you know, expecting the glory to increase like it had been, it always been. But this time, I gave an amount. I gave it to Brandon and I said, here, but use it for this. I wanted to choose who he'd give it to or what he would use it for. And I thought that I was, I, I thought in my own heart, this is what I want to do. It didn't seem bad. It was a good cause. It seemed noble. It seemed good. But when I put my own stipulation on, here, give this money to so-and-so, or use this money for this. Use this money to blah, blah, blah. Well, what do you see in the New Testament? They didn't say, here, Apostle Paul, use this money for X, Y, and Z. They laid it at the Apostle's feet. And as soon as I sent it with that message, instead of the usual increase of glory, I felt it hurt the glory. I felt it hurt the Holy Spirit. And there was 
only a decrease in glory and somewhat painful. And then right away, I remember writing a message. You know what? Actually, just do whatever you want with it. <laughs> because I immediately felt, immediately felt the repercussions of in telling the apostle what to do with the money that I had given. I thought it was my money. I didn't think I was doing anything bad. No one in the world would have persecuted me and saying that's bad. But what I felt was immediately how it damaged the glory, how it reduced the glory in my life. Nobody else was hurt by it but me. Right? It may have hurt the emotions of the Holy Spirit, but he's still God on the throne. It may have uh, been a negative. He might have felt the bad fruit as an apostle, but it didn't diminish the glory in him. The only person who was really negatively affected was me. I didn't receive until I corrected myself after the Holy Spirit had his way of chastising me by allowing me to feel what it did to the glory. So I took off all any instruction. Here's the money. Do whatever you think is best. God has made you, you know, king of this and he's given you kingship. And I trust that you are hearing from God and God's going to instruct you. Obviously, he chose you for a reason. God's going to show you what to do with it. It's just my job to bring that increase. And as I give, freely giving, giving with joy, giving in the Holy Ghost, giving the amount that God has instructed me, and I'm joyfully giving, that I know I'll continue to reap the benefit of the invisible substance of Shekinah glory. And that is the same glory within me I received from that, that grew me up into the tree of righteousness, so then you choose what you do with the increase. But if you value what's invisible, eventually you'll grow up into the heights. Amen. Amen. So tonight's an invitation for everyone to live the life of Mary of Bethany, which is the life of a living sacrifice where all the natural realm is laid at the feet of Jesus Christ. That's the standard of an entry-level disciple of New Covenant Christianity. And God will disciple you in that, for that is the true knowing of Him and the purpose of life in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, I stand before you today with a heart full of gratitude and excitement for the incredible work that God is doing in our midst. As we gather together in the spirit of worship and fellowship, I am reminded of the profound words found in the Holy Bible, specifically in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. These verses emphasize the importance of honoring God with our resources, and it is this biblical principle that has guided us in the vision and mission of our ministry. Today I want to share with you a divine opportunity that calls for our collective support, the establishment of RLM TV right here in the heart of Florida. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus commissions us saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This divine mandate is not confined to the four walls of our ministry but extends to the vast reaches of media and technology. RLM TV is more than just a vision. 
It is a God-given opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission in an era where the power of media can transcend boundaries and reach souls in ways we could have never imagined. Brothers and sisters, the urgency of this mission is echoed in Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As we embark on this journey to establish RLM TV, we are not just building a broadcasting station. We are constructing a platform to amplify the gospel, to reach the lost, to disciple nations through the powerful medium of television. Yet, my dear family, such a mission requires resources, financial resources that will enable us to purchase the necessary equipment, secure broadcasting licenses, and ensure the production of quality content that reflects the love and teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am reminded of the widow in Mark 12:41 through 44 who with a sacrificial heart gave all that she had. In 2 Corinthians 9:7, the Apostle Paul encourages us, saying, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let us prayerfully consider how we can play a part in this historic endeavor. Let our hearts be moved by the urgency of the mission, and let our generosity reflect the cheerful giving that God delights in. Together, as one body of Christ, we can make RLM TV a reality, a beacon of hope and truth that will shine brightly in the state of Florida and beyond. May God bless you abundantly as you prayerfully consider your contribution, and may the joy of giving be a testament to the love and grace that flows from our generous Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.